garden parties everybody uh um, today we're trying out something new we've got the international break um and you know we're not too bothered by it and here at garden parties we like to you know consume a lot of different content and we don't just listen to our own podcast we listen to others and two of our favorites are the dollop and behind the bastards which are podcasts basically where there's one person who uh, researches a topic, a funny story from history or a terrible person, and they read a story about them to their guests or their co-hosts who don't know what's happening. So in that spirit, we are starting presented by Garden Parties. So you're telling me... in which we will be researching and telling various stories about crazy players or traditions or stories in the history of football because we know in our beautiful game there are plenty. And I, Nick, have researched this story and I will be reading it to DiMaggio and Nadge who do not know what's about to happen. We're gonna be. We are so excited! Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's story time. It's story time. So, without further ado, we'll begin our story in the middle of the last century in Northwest Spain. In 1949, Enrique Castro Gonzalez is born, was born in Oviedo, capital of the Asturias. His younger brother, Jesus, would come two years later, but this story will mainly focus on Enrique. They spent their early years in Oviedo, but due to their father's job at Endiesa, a steel manufacturing company, the family moved about 20 miles away north to Yaneris. Yaneris was basically a company town. Almost all of its 8,000 inhabitants were associated with Endiesa and El Poblado, as it was known provided the rough setting in which Enrique, affectionately known as Kini, would hone not only the footballing prowess that would go on to make him one of the biggest stars in the game, but also the humility, mental fortitude, and endurance that would serve him off the field as well. <laughs> I already like, try to work out who this player is, though. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Enrique Sr., prior to his work in steel manufacturing, also had a love for football, and he passed this on to Keeney, who was often found with a ball playing with the other boys. Yanaris was a tough area, and that meant that the kickabouts were tough as well. His classes made sure not to take it easy on the new kid in town, kicking and battering him regularly. And Keeney showed <laughs> that not only that he could take it, but he could excel as well. Sounds like Tuesday nights, kicking and battering him <laughs> regularly. Kicking and battering, yeah. <laughs> Uh, comes, spring comes Garden. Tuesday nights, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really kick about that much unless Keeney we def- <laughs> Keeney would definitely fit in well at 321 uh, Spring Garden Avenue. <laughs> Fairmount. Fair. On Fairmount <laughs> Avenue on 
Tuesday nights. So the stocky kid with a fierce shot was already as savvy as a seasoned professional by the time he made the move, his move from his junior team, Don Bosco, to Club Deportivo Endiesa. Endiesa had been taken over by his father's company and was essentially a works team competing in the Tercera division when 18-year-old Heaney debuted in 1967. It wasn't long until Endiesa moved into the Segunda on the back of 17 goals and 22 appearances by Keeney, who was now starting to attract interest from bigger clubs. After a move to hometown Oviedo fell through, Keeney moved to Sporting Gijon, and the Keeney era began. <laughs> Yo, I was I was so waiting for this to go into like how the steel mill basically like killed a football team. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, yo, wait, so they bought the they bought, a, a club, yeah. they bought a club now, they were in a town that yeah. they, they basically owned. What possibly could go wrong you in the next like bit? Gonna be a story of industrial sabotage or mm-hmm. yeah, something. definitely. I thought something was gonna happen with the steel mill. I thought yeah. I thought people were gonna die sooner. Yeah, well, hold on. <laughs> like, hold your beer. Yeah, chill, chill. You haven't got to the death yet. <laughs> yeah. At at Sporting, Keeney became nothing short of prolific, hitting the ground running. Keeney scored 13 goals in his first season and earned promotion to La Liga. He would go on to total single digits only once in his entire career. He captured five Pichichi trophies for the top scorer in the league with Sporting, including two in the Segunda Division and three in La Liga. From 1968 to 1980, Keeney, also known at this point as Keeney Goal and El Brujo, scored 214 goals in 381 appearances. And after a few unsuccessful attempts, uh, Barcelona was able to pry the top scorer away from sporting for 32 million pesetas. Wait, pardon, uh, pardon. Did you say 314 and 381? 214 and 381. Oh. Oh, that's still, still like still that's a lot. That's still a lot. Yeah, still like one every game. Yeah, that's still bananas. Yeah. So, <laughs> Barcelona bought him for thirty-two million pesetas. I did not I'm, really do all of the math on this. If somebody wants to do that at a later point, um, but I did find that the nineteen eighty-one exchange rate was ninety-seven pesetas to one U.S. dollar. All right, I had to, I just have it. I can't do that. That's too much math. Yeah. I'm not yeah, unfolding I, my hands from behind my head, so yeah, I'm that's fair. trying to do that math in my head, and it's not really happening. Yeah, we're, don't we'll worry, just, we got calculates. We'll just imagine we're in 1980 Spain, and we know what pesetas are. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of money, dog. Yeah. I'm sure it was. I mean, it sounds and, like, what, 32 million? Yeah, 32, 32 million, million, million pesetas. Is yeah, yeah that's 19, a lot, man. Yeah. It was a lot, and some critics felt that Barcelona was overspending on the now 31-year-old talisman. But he proved his worth by winning another two Pichichi trophies in his first two seasons. But it was also in these first two seasons when Keeney experienced a strange and dark episode that would arrest the nation and change the landscape of the league. Wait, wait, one sec. I did the math. It's 300, it's like 330,000 US dollars. But is that in 90... Eighty dollars, or is that like that's in, in like nineteen? Now? That's in nineteen eighty-one dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So, like a dollar, you could buy everything for a dollar in nineteen eighty-one. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. 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 Things were cheaper. It's a different time. Yeah. So, first, some <laughs> historical context. Uh, I don't know how fresh you guys are on your Spanish history. 
But oh, at this yeah. moment in time, Spain was in a period of transition. They're emerging from the Spanish state and moving into democracy, but not without some upheaval. Francoism had dominated Spain for decades, ruling the nation with a fascist and anti-communist iron fist. But Francisco Franco would die in 1975, and King Juan Carlos would lead the transition from Franco's dictatorship to a parliamentary system over the next few years. The transition was virtually complete after the failed coup d'etat led by Antonio Tejero in February 1981. Also active during this time were groups like Euskadi de Ascatasuna, better known as ETA, a Basque nationalist and separatist group, and Grapo, Grupos de Resistencia Antifascista Primero de Octubre, or in English, 1st of October anti-fascist resistance groups, which was a Marxist... Yeah, it was a Marxist-Leninist organization believed to be responsible for the 1979 Madrid cafe bombings. So I this don't was bang the- with the cafe bombings, but everything else she said, <laughs> everything yeah. else she said sounded pretty good. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of shitty to like ruin somebody's nice little tiny coffee and a pastry. Yeah, yeah. no matter who they are. Yeah. I don't, there's some people that I'd ruin their <laughs> coffee. <and> pastry, but... <laughs> Ole. Yeah. Geo, definitely. I want to take it to a Travis Scott concert. <laughs> Too soon? Yeesh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. That might be a big bleep. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this was the tense political atmosphere that provided the volatile backdrop for the events of March 1st, 1981. Oh, I like these dates. Barcelona was in second place, one point behind league leaders Atletico Madrid. Keeney left Camp Nou after scoring twice in their 6-0 win over Hercules and went to collect his wife and two children from the airport. How times have changed, huh? Atletico Madrid and Barcelona near the top of the table. Yeah, Yeah, you you wouldn't think that, right? You wouldn't think Spanish football. Who Who did they Yeah, he's not me. So much has so much has changed, right? (laughs) Only after let me guess Bayern Munich on the top of the Bundesliga. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, yeah. where was I? So yeah, he went to collect his wife and two children from the airport. Only after pulling in at a gas station, three men pulled up in a white van. Two walked over to Keeney and guided him in by gunpoint. He would not make it to the airport. And now, in an effort to be as accurate as possible, I will read from the report in El País by Alphonse Quinta from March 2nd, 1981. So forgive any Google translations here. It kind of gets a little muddled at times. Quote, Keeney left the stadium alone in his car and headed home. He had planned to go to the El Prat airport to pick up his wife and children who were returning from Asturias. Keeney did not go to the airport. His wife, after two in the morning, contacted Alexanko and informed him of the absence. Alexanko first denounced the disappearance of Keeney's car. At noon yesterday, the complaint of the player's disappearance was presented. And I'll, I just want to stop right here for a quick point of information. Alexanko uh, is the captain of 
Barcelona at the time. It was part of a big influx of Basque players into the team. Um, he is also now currently the technical director of Mamelodi Sundowns. So oh. shout out to Sundowns and Garden Party sponsor and former kit manufacturer for Sundowns, Theodora. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, I'm I'm just thinking as well, like, how sick would it be if somebody just, like, kidnapped Harry Kane? <laughs> like, do you know, like, just, that would be, like, ridiculous. That would be so dope. Yeah. Like, top scorer in, the, like, top scorer in, like, the Prem just goes missing on the way to the that's airport. The and, like, nobody like that, knows where he is. <laughs> that's, like, part of the thing that was, like, so interesting to me about this story. It's, like, it really does present, like, a completely different time. First of all, he wouldn't, he probably wouldn't be driving to pick up his wife and kids from the airport in the first place if this was like this day and age and have like a car service or something yeah, waiting exactly. for him. and like nobody would be able to get close enough to him to kidnap him if he was a star of like this magnitude in this day and age like you'd never like you see a lot of stories about like you know like i think like hulk's sister was kidnapped and like eric lamella's brother was kidnapped and yeah like, that's all in south players, america though. Players getting, different rules players getting robbed and, yeah but and, yeah that's the thing it's also like their family members it's not like the yeah the players yeah. specifically i mean the closest so. we've got to this in my eyes is when that dude in la stole daniel storage's dog <laughs> that's like yeah. the closest thing that i could think of yeah i remember i remember for days before that like wondering what kind of dog it was and then when i finally figured saw the picture of the dog i was like oh wow yeah, wow. it, it, this is definitely Daniel Sturridge's dog. It's a tiny fucking Pomeranian. Yeah, it's a Q-tip. Yeah. Barking Wait, Q-tip. What, <laughs> what type of dog did you think Studge would have? Yeah. Don't know. Yeah, Don't he, know. Just ma- he goes from, he's match-fixing in, in Turkey. He's going to have a little, he's got to take him into the buckies. You know what I mean? You can't take a big <laughs> dog into the buckies. Wait, think about way, it. Did you guys did you guys see that post of his when he was like looking for a barber? It was like a paradigm. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was like all of his like, prerequisites for how good his barber has to be yeah and he's like no lobe, like no don't try and overcharge me <laughs> yeah, yeah, never yeah. change man never change <laughs> never change high standards anyway sorry <laughs> yeah so back to the article uh last night the barcelona police lacked all information regarding the circumstances and motive for the disappearance and pod- possible kidnapping of the 31 year old barcelona football club player Enrique Castro Gonzalez, also known as Kini. There are no witnesses to this disappearance. As indicated, police specified that nothing indicates the possible existence of a terrorist motive. Therefore, therefore the hypothesis focus, hypotheses focus on the possibility of a kidnapping to obtain a ransom from the club. Last, the last person Kini spoke to was his wife at around 9 o'clock on Sunday night, two hours after the end of the Barcelona Hercules match during which Keeney scored two goals. His wife informed him that she was about to take the plane from Asturias to Barcelona and they agreed Keeney would meet her at the airport. Wait, wait, wait. Is this like the backstory of how Barcelona are just in like a tremendous amount of debt? It all started with this fucking ransom. <laughs> it all started. Is this it? This thing, is this, is this <laughs> it? Yo, it takes a long time to get a I mean, maybe this, this might be the <laughs> beginnings of it. Yeah. <laughs> Keeney's domicile is located in the Ronda belt itself, which in that section in its upper part receives the name of Gran Via de Carlos III. From that place and along this fast road without traffic lights, there are only 10 minutes to the airport. 
Thus, if he had gotten into his car and started the arrest, it would have been very difficult. Now, I'm not quite sure like what that mean, like what that translation is trying to say. I think it's just like kind of describing where he lives and like yeah. the logistics of like kidnapping him along that road. Yeah. This fact suggests that he could have been kidnapped from his home or when he left it. His car, a Ford Granada, was found perfectly parked very close to his house. Inside it, the television and the video recorder were on. The case of Keeney's disappearance is in the hands of the Barcelona anti-theft group, as well as the most experienced in matters of great organized crime. Last night, everything indicated that serious clues were lacking and that attention was focused on the possible communication of the kidnappers with the family or the club. Yesterday yes. afternoon, the Spanish that? police are really well known for yeah being yeah. diligent. Yeah. <laughs> That's like yeah. I, I read that I read that paragraph and I was like, did this guy Alphonse was he just like write about cops in the paper and just love cops? He's like, yeah, they're great. They're the greatest no. human resource. Yeah, yeah. They're the great organized it, crime. Yeah, because every time I've been to Spain, there hasn't been one issue with the police. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, not one. <laughs> Just smoking a cigarette near a beach half yeah, the time. Yeah. That's it. That's all they do. <laughs> Yesterday afternoon, there were two phone call telephone calls to the different social communication media in Barcelona that the police considered not very serious. In one, it was indicated that Keeney would be back home on the 11th and requested that there be no publicity about the case. The second call, another anonymous communicator, indicated that the, it was about a kidnapping organized by an alleged Batillon Catalano Espanol, and that Kini would be released after the next game passes, which will be Atletico Madrid, so that a separatist team cannot be a cup champion. Ooh. The alleged kidnapping yesterday moved Asturians who have a real idol in Kini. His mother, Maria Elena, cried inconsolably while his father, Enrique, was reluctant to believe anyone could harm any of his children. Keeney never had anything to do with politics, he said. And if someone is looking for money, he also misses me because they're 50,000 richer than me. His brother is Jesus Castro, the starting goalkeeper of Sporting Gijon, and Falo, the sporting athletic goalkeeper, undertook an urgent trip to Barcelona yesterday. Last night, the civil government of Barcelona provided a statement in which it ventured the possibility that kidnapping was the work of common criminals and also requested the collaboration of citizens to report any fact that may be clue. So here we are with one of the best strikers in Spain missing. And <laughs> what the, best, approach... the best striker in England's missing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Last scene walking around Old Trafford. <laughs> Having a nice shot in the park. <laughs> Last scene yeah. being screamed at by an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> screamed at in Holland. Yeah. So that he can't have ketchup anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no brown sauce, no fizzy drinks. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> so now here we are with March 8th's matchup with Atleti approaching and the mood around Barcelona and within Kini's family was tense. The Barca were the informed team and looking to overtake Atleti and kick on towards the league title, but the match was the furthest thing from their mind. Teammate Bernd Schuster even remarked that, as well as legs, I have a heart. 
They were not in the right frame of mind as Alexanko and club president Joseph Nunez watched over his wife Maria and their children. And the demoralized Blaugrana went on to suffer a 1 0 defeat at the Vicente Calderon. The situation within the club deteriorated, and as the atmosphere on and off the field turned toxic, Barca only collected one point from the next five games and slipped out of the title race. And as the results on the field slipped, Maria had been receiving daily phone calls from Keeney's captor, captors detailing their ransom demands. They never stayed on the phone long enough to trace for a trace to be effective. And throughout these calls, it became readily apparent that they were not cr- career criminals or experienced kidnappers. They were actually a desperate group consisting of two mechanics and an electrician in various stages of financial distress. They would offer differing amounts about how much they wanted, sometimes low-balling themselves. They would be like, <laughs> uh, we want 100 million pesetas, and then they would continue on with the conversation, and be like, and then they'd be like, yeah, so 10 million pesetas, right? And then whoever was talking to them would be like, wait, I thought you said 100. And they're like, yeah, no, no, 100. We meant 100. <laughs> this, this sounds very good. I read this already. It's just like, yo, did that say 100? Fuck. You know yeah. what? You know what? Yeah, I'm, say, oh yeah, I'm in a hundred. Yeah, you know just what? Get this me, is... Just get me a bun. Just get me like a six pack and like maybe a couple of sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it even. We'll call it even. This reminds me of like uh, a bit of if if our story with Danny Welbeck went a bit dark. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> got, got a bit. Got a bit raw moat. Got a bit. <laughs> got a bit raw moat in Gaza on it. <laughs> Yo, Danny, if you're listening, I'm so pissed you didn't come for a pint with us. <laughs> With our misery on Danny Welbeck. <laughs> Calling Brighton. <laughs> Yo, if you just buy us a round, if you buy us our next round at the bounce, we'll let him go home. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be seven beers. Wait, five? No, six. <laughs> Anybody want a shot? No shots. Wait, somebody wants a shot. No, no. Yo, just get it. It's free. We got Danny Well back. <laughs> you guys, got, you guys got to print Welle on the back of his shirt. We don't care what he wants. <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> it's a mechanic. Twelve-year-old. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they had all these. You know, they were all over the place they had a couple plans that they had agreed for Alexanko to make a drop at one point um but this didn't go according to plan uh Alexanko was followed by police on motorcycles as they went on this long and pointless journey south into Hirono towards the French border where they were supposed to meet the kidnappers and drop off the money but the plan had to be abandoned when the police realized that they were about to be forced out of the country and had not cleared anything with the French authorities. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, like I said, the Spanish police, the Spanish police, the greatest resource of all mankind. Are we going into France? Yeah, <laughs> they probably just stop for a fucking ham on sandwich and shit. Notice they weren't in Spain anymore. Like, oh fuck. Oh, no. So from here, they were still panicky and afraid and constantly changing their minds on how to proceed. They were still making these calls and they made these occasional threats, but they didn't seem too serious because they would also say things like, you know, I'm even a Barcelona fan. This is amazing. <laughs> Yo, it is getting closer and closer to us getting to us actually kidnapping Welbeck. 
Yo, I actually was not even welcome. I'm not going to do any goodbye, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We so at this to fight him to kick about. <laughs> just wait to come play football with us. That's all. Do you reckon the kidnappers are just asking him to sign shit as well like for their kid? Yo, yeah, yeah. We're holding you at ransom, but you might sign in this. Just make it out to Esmeralda. <laughs> Giving up all their family's name because you're having them sign Barcelona shirts. <laughs> Oh, uh, so at this point, it had been three weeks since Keeney's disappearance. What? So at, a Yo. breakthrough was yeah, yeah three weeks. Yo, I'm um, under uh, experiencing economic hardship trying to feed a footballer for three weeks. <laughs> Are they going to work? Yeah, they're they yeah. they mechanics. Just fixing somebody's car, worrying the whole day that you're about to get arrested for kidnapping. <laughs> Like Stains, what is this striker. guy like coming out of the back of like a junkyard and just like yeah. he, like just like yo are you feeding me yet like what the fuck have my man working in the office yeah, yeah. <laughs> yo when I really thought this was like day day two not like no. not day twenty one <laughs> no this has been going on for weeks yeah weeks what but they made a they made a breakthrough when they finally settled on a hunt they made contact with Alexanko. And they finally settled on 100 million pesetas to be transferred into a Swiss bank. And this is where the authorities got uh, their break. Yeah, their break. They finally so, made some progress in the case. So also, so, I'm, I'm not like a math expert, right? But Barcelona just signed him for 300 million pesos. 32 and million. 30, pesos. Oh, yeah. 32. Oh, fuck. Ah. So this I was is that, say, this you is like, like you're not a math expert. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a math expert, man. Calculate this, is, this is like halfway through, or like 75 percent of the way through his second season with Barcelona. Okay. Um, so finally, after 25 days, the authorities are tipped off to Keeney's location. And from the articles I read, I found kind of like two different reports on how they were tipped off. I feel like it's kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm guessing and, one of yeah. these guys was just at a bar and we're just like, yeah, yeah. I've got him. He's been at my house so, for five days. He's eating me out of house and home. <laughs> so like I, like I said, they, they settled on 100 million to be transferred into a Swiss bank, but the kidnappers had no idea how to arrange for the ransom delivery. So Barcelona had to set up the account for them. This is, this is, <laughs> did they just see oh, him no. on the radio? Like, no. did they just see him and was like, yo, let's fucking take him and then, yeah. like, we'll figure out. I really, I really have no idea. Like, what they, they might have just planned to take him, but then didn't plan anything after that. This honestly like, yeah, is getting, let's take him because we're in debt. Yeah. This is getting more and more like a garden parties thing. Like, yo, this yeah. is an amazing idea. Let's do it. Then we do yeah, it, and they're like, "Oh, what he now?" He lives up on Grandia de Carlos. It's like two. It's two minutes away from me, man. I see him all the time. It's so easy. Oh, yeah. It's so easy. We see him all the time. Johnny Vinny. I saw yeah. him there the other day. So, oh, one article says that the money was actually transferred into the account, and twenty-five million pesetas was almost immediately withdrawn. So the Spanish and Swiss authorities worked together, and they were easily able to identify the recipient of the twenty-five million. 
Another article says the police were tipped off to the location of the white man involved in the kidnapping. Either way, the SWAT team or specialists, whoever they were, at a location and descended upon a garage in Zaragoza. Wait, no, and, so I guess they're right. He really was just in the back of one of those shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just chilling. Just chilling in the garage. Yeah. And for and just like for context, Zaragoza, I thought I looked it up. Zaragoza is like 160 miles away from Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> just in a, a fucking resort town doing pickups in the back of an auto yeah. shop. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good weekend to be fair. Yeah. This <laughs> next bit, I'm, I'm this <laughs> next next bit I'm quoting from Keeney, a tale of kidnap ransom and forgiveness in Barcelona, an article by Sid Lowe in the Guardian. It's quote When one policeman kicked the metal shutter, his foot went straight through it, getting stuck. One of the kidnappers was cooking an egg on a butane stove. Guns pointed at his face as he gestured silently at the floor. A trap door was opened. A policeman wriggled through a small, damp space below. Keeney, unshaven, dirty, and gray, had heard the noise and was hiding under his mattress, shaking. Keeney came to voice, Keeney, I'm a policeman. I'm here to rescue you. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that the policeman could The image image of just, like, his foot being stuck, and he's got, like, some old-timey, like, Colt revolver, and he's trying to, like... (laughs) Trying to yank his foot out. I'm just, I'm just imagining a, a, a Spanish chief wiggle. <laughs> and now we're, and now we get the answers to how 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 they yeah. were feeding him. That fried egg diet. Just fried yeah. eggs. That them them yeah. over mediums. Fried eggs yeah. on a portable stove in a in the back of a garage. <laughs> so, sounds sounds like a Steph Irwin rave. let's get it oh my god Uh. Keeney's first concern was the upcoming match against Real Madrid in four days obviously he wanted to play but was not allowed to and Barcelona lost again 3-0 the captors were sentenced to 10 years in prison in order to pay Keeney 5 million pesetas which he refused in addition to turning down the money and refusing to press further charges, Keeney was quite sympathetic towards his captures, captors. He remarked, it wasn't that uncomfortable if you knew how to move into the right position. One day they brought me down a copy of Marcus so I could see the football results. And in the end, they gave me a television and everything and a chess set. I played on my own, but I like playing on my own. My kidnappers are good people who did me no harm. I forgive them. Some people think this may have been Stockholm syndrome. Others just chalk it up to his forgiving nature and modesty. It sounds like he was having a good time, though. It sounds yeah, sick. Just, yeah. just watching, eating like, eggs, eating eggs, playing chess, just watching reading football. the paper. Yeah, yeah. It, sound, it literally sounds like me over quarantine. Probably it's just like chilling down there, like, the God damn, it's nice to get a break. Everybody, it's like, can you this, can you this, like, score some yeah. goals. But no, nah, I just want to eat eggs. And- like yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> didn't have to go to training for three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nobody's nobody's annoying me. Right, the, yeah. gar- the garage door a little bit wobbly. Like, because I was thinking about it. Like, when like if a police officer could kick through the door, I imagine like an athlete probably could. I probably <laughs> yeah. get away from these guys as they're like, yeah, just some they, random guys with no plan. They had him Are like locked in a in like a trap door basement, like under the floor, so oh. he couldn't like 
break through like the floor the floor <laughs> Keeney yeah, went on think... to complete the season with Barcelona, scoring twice in the Copa del Rey final against his former team, Sporting. Despite scoring Barcelona's 3,000th goal, though, Keeney never hit the same heights after his kidnapping. He, he wants Barcelona. to go back. Yeah. <laughs> Just fucking give me a day off. Where are the eggs? He's, in, he's institutionalized now. Yeah, he's got a marker writing bullshit about him. Yeah. Yeah, he's fucking... I, would, I preferred it in the basement. <laughs> He, le- he mean, left Barca yo, in... Actually, though, Camp Nou is much like that basement now. Just yeah. damp, falling apart, no lights on. <laughs> only A- <laughs> Yeah, only <Kick>. XD. <laughs> <laughs> you could kick through a door, I imagine. <laughs> he, he left Barcelona in 1984 after 100 appearances and 54 goals. And rejoined his brother Jesus at Sporting after a brief brief retirement. Still, he retired still more than one every other game. Still yeah, one every yeah. other game. Pretty good. And these are all these are all league goals too. These aren't these don't include like cup competitions or anything right. like that. So his like true number is probably higher than that. Um, he left Barca after nineteen in nineteen eighty four and rejoined his brother Jesus at or Jesus at Sporting after a brief retirement. He retired for good in nineteen eighty seven with. 302 goals in 567 professional league appearances. He would go on to serve sporting in various capacities for the next 20 plus years, and he even took charge of sporting at the Camp Nou against Barca in 2009 after both touchline coaches were sent off against Sevilla the week before. Keeney was, however, not a licensed or registered coach, and so while he instructed the team, he was not allowed in the technical area for the match. According to Sporting, this was the first occasion in which both the head coach and their deputy were expelled from the same La Liga match. His brother, Jesus Jesus Castro, died a hero after saving a British father and son from drowning in Cantabria, Spain in 1993. He himself had a noteworthy career as well, amassing 417 appearances in goal for Sporting from 1968 to 1985. After overcoming throat cancer in 2008, Keeney died of a heart attack in February, on February 27, 2018. 14,000 people attended his memorial at Sporting's Ground El Molinon, which is now named after him. He has avenues, parks, squares named for him around the city, and he once stated that becoming an official adoptive son of Gijon was the biggest honor of his life. David Villa, who began his career at Sporting and is regarded as one of the greatest strikers of his generation, paid heartfelt tribute to Keeney, where he apologized for not living up to Keeney's vision of him. He is still considered one of. I Spain's wonder what Keeney's ever- vision of David Villa was. Not that. Well, he that he beard. worked he like worked at Sporting, so like he knew David Villa like coming up all through the ranks, and probably was like, "Oh, this guy's going to be like the greatest ever player," and. Yeah, we didn't see that. Was... Probably see that. Didn't see that stint at New York FC. Yeah, yeah. Probably didn't see that in his vision. <laughs> um, he's still considered one of Spain's best ever strikers, and is still eighth all time in goals in La Liga. Um, at the time I wrote this, Karim Benzema was 19 goals behind him, and is the only active player currently in playing in La Liga who could possibly pass him. Like, obviously, Messi and Ronaldo were one and two, but then 
it's like Benzema is like 18, 19 goals behind him. And then it's like Griezmann, Suarez, and they're like still like 70 odd hundred goals behind him. Wait, um, Messi and Ronaldo are one and two. Is it not the Stefano? I'd no, Messi and Ronaldo are one and two. Now, the Stefano is in there too. Um, but yeah, Keeney is still eighth all time. Um, Keeney, regarded for his goal scoring and the incident that held the nation's attention in March 1981, was also known for his humility. After his move from sporting to Barcelona, he said, I am one more. Things went well for me, and I scored a lot of goals. And that is the end of the story. My sources for this were uh, Keeney, Kidnap, and Ransom um, in Barcelona, that article by Sid Lowe. Um, Keeney's kidnapping may have financial motives. Uh, the El Pais article by Alphonse Quinta. Um, an article in these football times called The Kidnap of Keeney in 1981, one of Spain's finest roll stores by Jason Pettigrove. And also just a little blurb in La Marca from February 2009, which talked about uh, Keeney will be sporting coach at the Camp Nou. I also want to shout out to um, Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds and Robert Evans, the hosts of Dallop and Behind the Bastards, respectively, for the inspiration behind these episodes, this series that we're doing, which we're going to be trying to bring to you guys every few weeks. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening to my story here. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking wet. Actually, I want to know more yeah, about these. Yeah. I want to know more about these random mechanics. I wish there was. Yeah, like I wish, I wish there was like a biography on them or something. But I think they just kind of disappeared after they went to prison. <laughs> yeah, they just... that's, that's the crazy thing about uh about um like football. Like, there's so much that you could do like thirty for thirty type stuff on, but like yeah. there's just universes of it. Like there's like. Yeah. This whole world of it that we wouldn't even know about because we don't speak yeah. like Serbian, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Whole, like just imagine, like just imagine the Eastern European banter that you miss out on because you don't speak that rag, any of those ragged. Oh wait, don't yeah. you remember? Don't you remember like when that Ukrainian that Ukrainian gang over quarantine said that the Ukrainian league was doing a special tournament just to make everybody start gambling on it. And then they want to say that like all the teams came out and was like, no, when nobody's playing in a tournament, but they'd already like people had already gambled hundreds of millions on it across the world. And they like couldn't do anything about it because like it was on like gambling websites. Yeah. So stupid. I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. There's story, so man. many just crazy stories. Yeah. This was I thought this was a good story to start this series out with because it's like, well, one, it's a crazy story, obviously, but two, like. I had like three stories I was kind of like in my head. One I want to save for later. It's kind of like a World Cup story, but the other one is just not as lighthearted as this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's much, much, much darker. So <laughs> I'll yeah. save that. We'll ease, yeah. ease our listeners into it with this one. And then, yeah, we'll see, see oh, for the next one. You know, you know when I have to do the research, I'm literally just doing like the darkest possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about was also a very active gang member. 
<laughs> yeah. let's, talk, let's talk about slavery for an hour, guys. <laughs> yeah, the next, um, I think the next one, uh, you know, without too, giving too much away, the next one uh, we'll do is about a war criminal. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to that. Oh, man. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so I guess it's time for shout outs. <laughs> Uh, my shout out to Nick for this very good story, and uh, of course, my girlfriend, my cat, and my mother. Uh, my shout outs are to you guys, and of course, Jesse, uh, and all the gang for just being able to come up with brilliant ideas like this. Shout out to the guys at the dollop who um gave us the inspiration. Uh, in part, uh, we very much enjoy. Uh, the Jin Craze episode, just world class, <laughs> um, as, re- as well as the serial- New York to Paris car chase. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Cyril the Swan. Cyril the Swan. is the best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shout out uh, Swansea. Everybody is just so fucked Just, just for being <laughs> the birthplace of Cyril the Swan. Uh, shout out Keeney. Um, shout out random guys with big dreams. Couple of mechanics and a butcher <laughs> Pico guy. Yeah, the fact that the fact <laughs> that I was like, "Yo, was he just in the back of a garage?" And he was like, "Yeah, they took out a fucking door garage." What the fuck? You did, they did zero flooding. The fucking cops. The cops burst in and he's just like running meat through a meat slicer. <laughs> you guys want your sandwich? <laughs> no, you're at the wrong place. <laughs> No, I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time here. I'm playing chess. Leave me alone, man. I'm trying yeah, to learn uh, the Queen's Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> um, shout out to my cousin Zori. It's his birthday uh, on the 9th. Uh, shout out Rachel and my family and um, all of uh, the cool people that come to pick up our sponsors at Theodora and... Uh, uh, who else, man? Oh, oh, Icarus, P's and Q's. <laughs> Yo, I, I tag them all the time. I can't remember. It's terrible. P's and Q's, um, Black Sheep, uh, all the homies that are listening, all the new friends that we're making. Um, yeah, that's it. Nick. Yeah, I'm just, you know. There's probably some alternate timeline where, like, five years in the future, our faces are on the front page of, like, Leg Keep because we tried to kidnap Hatem Banner. But, so. Yo, I think Hatem Banner would out. have a really good time with us. He's like, you have a great time with us. Yeah. I've got Whoa. all the rum I want. Yeah. <laughs> These guys, yeah, These guys are really making care. me kebabs. And, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, the, it's just like the, the fucking bang bus. We just have, like, yeah. <laughs> out of a van and we have a football and a hookah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Hatem Ben and shout out to my mom and my brother and shout out to you guys, Jesse, receptive of this idea and rocking with me, listening to my story. Uh, shout out to Wendell and Ian and Torfell and James E. And shout out to all of our listeners. If you have any suggestions or recommendations you know any funny stories that we could do some research on you know feel free to send them our way yeah, yeah this is I, 
I, I think this I think this new storytelling idea is very good for this podcast, especially because all of us are very good at doing research and being smart. And all of us are also good at not doing research and being smart and not knowing anything about something. So it's pretty easy just not to do any work. So yeah, keep the ideas coming, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no prep for you guys on this one. Yeah, yo, I'm about to get ri- I'm about to get my going like right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yo, but this has been Garden Parties. Come and play football with us on Tuesdays at uh, three, two, one North Fairmount Avenue, and yeah, we'll see you after England play for what I can only describe as me shouting about beating San Marino for 45 minutes. Peace. <laughs> Long sleeve service. <laughs>